Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. everybody to the peddling fiction podcast i am your host the voice and soul of so-called fiction johnny the gentile profita hope everyone is doing well today it is friday finally gotta love friday afternoon this will probably be a bit of a shorter episode than you're used to i do have to get on a plane pretty soon i am off to phoenix for the weekend Going to play a little golf with my old man and uh, one of his buddies out there. So, And hopefully try to try to keep my tan going. Tan Juan, back from Mexico, only lasts about a week in this Chicago god-awful weather. So maybe a little sun in, uh, in Phoenix can, can keep hope alive. <laughs> but um, I finished the last episode ripping on Joe Biden and his hairy legs. <laughs> Um, but it, it's been sort of a slow couple days in the news. You know, we still have the impeachment stuff going on, which I have officially completely tuned out. I just I can't bring myself to care about it anymore. And I don't think any of us should be really wasting any of our time on it anymore. Uh, it, it's blatantly obvious that it is uh, another one of these witch hunts. But uh, Joe Biden was in the news again yesterday. So I, I might as well just start out by talking about that because he was doing, I don't know if it was a town hall or some sort of uh, conference or whatever, and there was a hefty gentleman (laughs) who they gave the microphone to, and he proceeded to question um, Joe Biden about his son Hunter Biden and the whole Ukraine thing, and Joe Biden took exception to that. There was a pretty funny exchange that took place, and <laughs> Joe Biden's catching more heat because he called this guy fat, and he challenged him to a push-up contest <laughs> instead of addressing the pretty legitimate question about what, what's been going on with, with his son and, and Ukraine and, and all these payments that he was getting. You know, the audio is so bad, I don't even want to play it because you can't really hear what the guy is saying. You can only he- kind of hear what... Biden's responses to it. But basically what happens is the guy asks him to comment on the whole Ukraine Hunter Biden situation and Joe Biden just kind of gets in his face and starts calling him fat and challenging him to push-ups. <laughs> a push-up contest. And uh, I mean it was it was pretty hilarious. I I actually <laughs> I thought Joe Biden's taking a lot of heat for this. I thought it, was, it made him look a lot cooler. Just uh, I'll, I'll challenge you to put. I'm not going to address your legitimate question. Let's just do push-ups, you fucking fat ass. <laughs> Which the guy was a fat, 
a fat person. So, I mean, I don't know. There's there's some debate as to whether or not he called him fat. But at the very least, because the audio is so bad, you can't really hear. And, and Joe Biden, like, slurs his words because he's such an old man. But at the very least, at the very least, he implied that he's a fat, out of shape piece of shit by just immediately challenging him to a push-up contest. Which, if I was this fat guy, I would just be like, hey, you know, why don't we um, do a repeat-after-me contest, and we can test out your memory, sleepy Joe Biden, because I don't think Joe Biden could repeat five words immediately after they were said to him. Like, if he was getting married, and the and the priest was like, repeat-after-me, he would, he would start fucking stuff up, like two or three words in, forget his wife's name and stuff. But, I mean, the bottom line is that Joe Biden is just so ill-prepared to deal with anything. He's not sharp. He's losing his mind. And he, he still thinks he's really clever, though. And he's cool. Like, his first response was like, oh, you're a liar, man. That, that's a lie, man. You're a goddamn liar, man. Like, if he drops this man at the end of every sentence, that makes him cool. Man, malarkey. Jesus Christ, this guy has Alzheimer's. He has, like, full-blown Alzheimer's. He thinks it's 1955, and he thinks he's, like, young and hip and cool again. And he's not. He's really not. But the other thing, his son is in the news again. Hunter Biden, the, the more that comes out on this guy, the, the more it becomes just unbelievably obvious that he is the scum of the earth. Like, this guy is just a horrible human being. And it, it really is unbelievable that the media pays no attention to this whatsoever. Could you imagine if if Trump's son, if uh, Don Jr. or, uh, God forbid, Barron Trump was in the news again this week, too, because he was getting made fun of by some, some old Jewish professor. But if Donald Trump's son had knocked up a stripper and and skipped out on paying child support and was in court was or at least supposed to be in court for a child support hearing and he skips court and he's being chased down by the law because he won't pay child support for his illegitimate out of wedlock kid. You you'd think the media might mention that at least once or something. But if it was Donald Trump, they'd be all over it. They'd be all over it. And the weirdest thing is that you would think that Donald Trump would have kids like that. I mean all Donald Trump does is bang hookers. <laughs> Like, like that's that's his side job, right? And, and all of his kids seem to be very well-adjusted, successful human beings, which is very bizarre to me. And I, I, I've been thinking of a lot about this lately. I don't know why, but because usually when you have like somebody who's rich and successful, their kids tend to be degenerate, drug addicts, alcoholics, lazy. Donald Trump's kids, they're all, they all work. They all have like jobs. They even have, um, they had jobs before he was president. Uh, like they have like clothing lines and shit like that. I think whatever, but they all seem to be very well adjusted, uh, members of society, which you would never expect. You would never expect given Donald Trump. If you just listen to Donald Trump talk for like an hour and then he told you that he had he had like three kids or whatever, you you would immediately assume that his kids are a bunch of degenerates, that his son is knocking up hookers it, or strippers, same difference. 
distinction without a difference. Uh, knocking up strippers and and not and skipping out on paying child support. But no, no, none of his kids are doing that. But Hunter Biden is. Hunter Biden has been ordered by an Arkansas judge to produce five years of financial records in his paternity case, which that could have some implications on this whole Biden-Ukraine thing because it's going to overlap with the period of time where he was receiving $80,000 a month in, in payments from that Ukrainian energy company, a Burisma. But basically what happened, like, so Hunter Biden knocked up some stripper in D.C., right? And she has the kid, and now she's demanding child support. Hunter Biden is trying to claim that he's bankrupt and that he can't afford child support. And so now the judge, and I don't know if this was like a blunder on on the part of his team, because now the judge is asking for five years of his financial records. Now they're going to be sealed to the public, but I mean... There's got to be at least some chance that there's going to be something in there that could really hurt the whole Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Ukrainian uh, money pump scheme or whatever you want to call it. But he's been ordered to produce five years now because he's claiming that he can't pay child support. So the judge is like, all right, give me five years of your financials. I don't know if he's calling his bluff or what. And then the stripper has to produce all of the tips that she received <laughs> while while stripping in dc uh you can't make this stuff up anyway i just thought that was kind of interesting how there might be something in those financial records that could pertain to this whole impeachment thing or at the very least the whole hunter biden connection to ukraine and just the fact that this guy is just a piece of shit (laughs) like he is just he he was also kicked out of the military because he failed a drug test like right when he got there and I just think it highlights another one of those issues where the, the media just doesn't cover this if it doesn't fit their agenda. Could you just imagine for a minute that Donald Trump Jr., Don Jr., knocked up a stripper in D.C. and refused to pay child support and was claiming he was too poor to do it? Uh, okay, when, when we know you were receiving $80,000 a month for years. Where'd all that money go? There's no way he snorted all of that $80,000 a month. That's that's an, an unbelievable coke habit. But anyway, the real thing I wanted to talk about today is this, I guess the economy in general, but this job number that came out today, you know, Friday is the big jobs day, right? This is when we get all of these jobs numbers and the market lives and dies by these ridiculous numbers that come out it's pretty unbelievable because you can see just how dependent the entire stock market is on these on these these are just estimates that almost always get revised down but the headline number whatever it is can move the markets in a major way and the same thing holds true when the fed has a meeting they 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 sit with bated breath waiting hanging on every word from the chairman of the Federal Reserve when the Fed has a meeting, which they have coming up next week. And and you're seeing 100-point swings, like massive swings in the market, uh, just based on words. They're parsing every single word that they say. They're looking for certain words, and if they say it, that's a good thing. If they don't say it, oh, that means it's a bad thing. The entire market is dependent on the Federal Reserve and their intervention. 
and we just got this jobs number. This is the lead story on Drudge today. Uh, job growth soars, record working unemployment, 50-year low. Okay, so no doubt that Donald Trump and his fucking lapdog, Larry Kudlow, and all these Republicans are going to be out there touting how great these numbers are, how we have the strongest economy in the history of America. These are unbelievable numbers, tremendous growth, all of that stuff, right? Now, we can set aside the fact that these numbers are almost exactly the same as they were under Obama when Donald Trump called it a, a big, fat, ugly bubble, and those job numbers are, are made up, they're phony, don't believe what you see. Let's put that all aside, because the non-farm payrolls, they surged 266,000 in November, which the estimates from these economists was only 187,000. Now, just to put that in perspective, even 266,000 jobs, that may sound like a big number to you, but in the country, in a country the size of America with 300 and whatever, 30 million people, whatever it is, that's not that big of a number, okay? I, I think we have to have like something like 150,000 jobs just to keep unemployment where it is. Just that like just to handle all the people that are coming into the workforce every month, hundred and fifty thousand jobs, something like that two hundred two fifty that's you know okay, it's sort of average or, or like when the economy was really humming along you you were seeing numbers like three fifty four hundred so to claim that you know two hundred and sixty six thousand is this astronomical number in and of itself, is a little ridiculous. It's just barely okay, like slightly better than okay. But it beat expectations, so the market goes crazy. They were only expecting 187,000. The unemployment rate ticked down uh, one-tenth of 1% three, to 3.5 from 3.6. The uh, labor force participation rate ticked down uh, a little bit too. So it's the lowest since it's been since 1969. Now, the, the problem with all this, oh, there are a few problems. First of all, uh, almost 50,000 of those jobs that came into existence were the GM workers coming off of their strike. I think it was 48,000 of them coming back to work in the manufacturing sector. So the manufacturing sector altogether gained 54,000. And last I read, 48,000 of those were just GM workers coming off of their strike and going back to work. So, I mean, really, those were jobs that we already had, that we lost, and that we got back. Just call, We'll call that 50. So now we're almost down to 216,000 uh, jobs, something like that. And I don't know what percentage of those jobs that were created were the result of what's called the birth-death model. And this is every month the, um, the government has to make certain assumptions as to how many businesses get created and how many businesses go out of business. And they literally just make this up. It's an estimate. And God knows how they come up with that estimate. But here's the problem. I mean, I get that, you know, in order to get some of these statistics, you have to make assumptions. You, you, you just have to. It's unavoidable. But the problem is, when you're operating under the assumption that the economy is the best it's ever been in 80 years, it's the strongest economy ever, 
you know, everything's terrific when it's really not, when things are actually terrible and the entire economy is propped up by the Federal Reserve and the cheap money they're creating, you're going to naturally overestimate the number of businesses that are coming into existence. And then on top of that, they, they estimate how many jobs that those businesses would have created. So, I mean, last I read, it was a third. It was about a third of the, the jobs were the result of a birth death model. I don't know if that holds true for these numbers, but rest assured that like a significant portion of those jobs um, don't actually exist that we know of. It's just a guess. And it's a guess uh, obviously based with uh, rose-colored glasses on. The economy's doing great. So obviously if the economy is the strongest it's ever been, X number of businesses should have come into existence and those businesses would have hired X number of employees. So therefore add like another 100,000 jobs onto the, onto the rolls or whatever it is. That's how they do it. It's really crazy. And then the unemployment rate ticking down. I don't know if I've gone over how the unemployment rate works on this show before, but basically this is, again, it's just an estimate. They do these surveys and they, they call people and I don't know, I never answer these calls. I don't answer random calls from people, but they ask you if you've been actively seeking work in the last two weeks. And if you have, you are considered part of the labor force and if you are unemployed, you are considered part of the unemployment portion of the labor force. Now, if you have not been looking actively searching for a job in the last two weeks, well, then you're not part of the labor force. You just fall out. That's the whole labor force participation rate portion of these numbers. Okay, so let's say uh, you've been out of work for like two months and you're just fed up with looking. You're just, I can't, I can't look anymore for a job. You're, you're discouraged. You're a discouraged worker. Well, you're not even considered part of the labor force at that point. They just drop you off the, the thing completely. And so that doesn't affect, you're still unemployed. You were unemployed a month ago. You're unemployed three weeks after that. But now that you've given up looking, all of a sudden they just drop you off the, off the numbers. So you have to take all of these numbers with a grain of salt and try to inoculate yourself from the propaganda that you're going to be hearing inevitably from Republicans trying to talk you into how great the economy is. You know, the, uh, the bottom line, America is working, said Larry Cudler, director of the Economic Council. Uh, these are very strong numbers. These are happy numbers. These are sunny Friday numbers. The job growth was the best since January's of this year, 312,000. This is a blowout number, and the U.S. economy continues to be all about the jobs. Uh, the unemployment rate is at a 50-year low, and wages are increasing. This is what the Republican machine is peddling. This is their fiction that everything is tremendous, and it's all because of Donald Trump. Now, why we give the president so much credit for how the economy is doing is beyond me. I don't remember when that started exactly. The government's always trying to take credit for private sector accomplishments and then blaming the private sector for government failures. It's like there's a parade that's marching down the street and like some government official hops out from some back alley, runs to the front of the parade and pretends like they're leading it. 
That's how they operate. Now, the, the truth is the president has very little effect on the economy overall. Yeah, he can he can tweak policies here and there, and he can give tax cuts if he can get them through Congress. And sure, but the 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 underlying strength of an economy has very little to do with what the president does or what the president says. And if you have an economy that is so dependent, as we've seen on the words coming out of the Federal Reserve. The words coming out of Donald Trump concerning the trade deal with China, that's another thing that has the market in a frenzy. You know, if he needs to pump the market up, he says, oh, we're really close to a trade deal. Trade deal, you know, phase one, it's going really good. Things are looking tremendous. And then a report comes out, oh, phase one's not going to happen, probably not until after the election, and the market tanks. If you have a market that is that dependent on just what people are saying, you have a very fundamentally weak market just in, just on its face right there that should tell you something that if uh, the federal reserve chairman comes out and says they're going to be patient <laughs> if they just use the word patient and that can affect trillions of dollars of movement in the markets you don't have a sound economy you have a bubble you have a bubble that's resting on the words of politicians that's all that's it you don't have a fundamentally sound economy. And the other thing is the economy and the stock market are not the same thing. Okay, people confuse this all the time. The stock market and the economy are not one in the same. They, they just aren't. We're at all-time highs in the stock market, but the economy, the underlying economy, the foundation uh, of economic growth, uh, is none of that is grounded in, in what's reflected in the stock market. None of it. The, the stock market is just is simply a reflection of all the, the money that the Federal Reserve's been creating out of thin air and pumping into the system. The stock market can be at all-time highs, and it's all a fantasy. It can, it can, you pull the rug out from under it, and it's all gone. It disappears because it was never really there to begin with. We didn't have a foundation. We didn't have a strong economy underneath with which to build on. We didn't have savings and investment in plant and equipment to create future growth in the economy. We're not saving anything as Americans. We have one of the lowest saving rates in the world. Yeah, it's higher than it was in 2006, but it's not that high. In fact, we're in debt up to our eyeballs. We have over a trillion, one and a half trillion in student loan debts. We got almost a trillion dollars in auto debt, uh, the housing debt. Uh, Everybody, credit card debt, you name it, we got it. And on top of that, on top of the personal debt, we have state and local debt, pensions that are out of control. We have federal debt, $23 trillion and counting. And then we have all these unfunded liabilities. Like the entire United States from head to toe are in debt up to our eyeballs. Up to our eyeballs. We haven't saved anything. We've squandered it all. All we've been doing for the last 15 years is spend money spend resources. And Donald Trump's going to try to get in front of this parade and pretend like this is the greatest economy the world has ever seen. It's not. It's not. We are on the verge of collapse. I don't know when it's going to happen. I, if I could predict that, I would be vacationing on a yacht somewhere counting my billions of dollars. But rest assured, this party cannot go on forever. And it's already gone on way longer than it was supposed to, way longer than any other party that we've had, way longer than anybody could have imagined. We are in uncharted waters right now. 
We've had record low interest rates for a record amount of time. We're spending records amounts of money. Donald Trump is spending more than any other president on the face of the earth. We have the biggest government the world has ever seen, the, the largest deficits the world has ever seen. Nobody knows how this is going to end. Well, that's not true. I know how it's going to end. It's going to end poorly, okay? But anybody that tries to pretend like they, they know how to handle this type of situation when nobody in the history of mankind has ever been in this situation, they're lying. And Donald Trump is lying when he says that this is a good economy. Larry Kudlow is lying when he is propping up Donald Trump. This is propaganda. This is all propaganda designed to gin up the Republican base ahead of this election. And they can try to point to all these jobs that are supposedly being created and how great everything is. But the real people are going to know. The people that are working two or three jobs just to get by. The people who have been unemployed for more than two weeks, or at least been unemployed and not actively searching for more than two weeks, who are not part of the labor force. The people who are missed by these government statistics, they're going to know the truth. And the other thing is, when it comes to employment numbers to base your your strength of the economy off of employment numbers is ridiculous because employment numbers are a lagging indicator of the strength of an economy because they're the last thing that that actually get cut right you have to you have to go into a recession most likely before people actually start getting laid off so to look at like one of the things that drives me crazy is that we tend to treat the jobs number as if it's a leading indicator, as if, oh, all these people got hired this month or last month, so therefore the economy's doing really well. Or all, all these people didn't get fired last month, so therefore the economy's doing really well. Well, it, there's, there's a lag there. It, it's like when you, you know, if you live in a, a crappy old rundown apartment building and you go to take a shower and you turn on the hot water, and it's cold for 10 seconds, and then it goes scolding hot, there, there's a lag in the unemployment numbers. So you're not going to see unemployment tick down until you're in the eye of the storm, until shit has already hit the fan, okay? If you go back to look at, look at like 2000, the, the last uh, Great Recession, the unemployment numbers in 2007, they were fine. They were fine leading up to 2008. Uh, we didn't start losing jobs until late 2007, early 2008, until once the shit hits the fan, then people get laid off. So to take people having jobs as a, the, uh, the road ahead is clear, yeah, that is a big stretch, a big stretch. And on top of all that, we have the Federal Reserve pumping billions of dollars into the markets to try to keep this this whole thing afloat all right their balance sheet just moved to over four trillion oh hey, let me back up okay so the federal reserve for anybody who is not familiar i can't imagine any of my listeners wouldn't be but maybe you're not it is the central bank of america okay and basically their balance sheet consists of government obligations, treasury bills, treasury bonds, mortgage-backed securities that they've purchased in the open market. They have these things they call open market operations. This is when the Federal Reserve starts intervening in the private markets. They essentially create money with a keystroke, 
and they buy either government debt or mortgage debt and they put it on their balance sheet, okay? Uh, prior to the 2008 financial crisis, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, I believe, was around $500 billion, with a B, okay? And when we were in the depths of the 2008 financial crisis, probably around the March lows of 2009, thereabouts, the Federal Reserve came up with this scheme called quantitative easing. Okay, you may have heard this, quantitative easing. It sounds very complicated and very sophisticated, QE for short. But basically, all they were doing was every month they would buy roughly $40 billion worth of treasury bills and $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities. And they did this every month for years. QE1 quickly turned into QE2, which turned into QE3. And when all was said and done, the, the Fed's balance sheet had ballooned from $500 billion to $4.5 trillion with a T. That's, so what's happening there is the Federal Reserve... Remember, they don't have any money of their own, okay? They can, they, what they do is, with the stroke of a key, they just put money in, in bank accounts, essentially, to, to simplify it down, right? So when they're buying $80 billion worth of uh, securities in the marketplace, it's not like they're digging into their own pockets, pulling out $80 billion and throwing it into the market. No, no. They're just literally creating that money out of thin air with the stroke of a key. And they're giving it to all these investment banks and all these guys on Wall Street to essentially uh, speculate with. And speculate they did. Uh, all that money gets funneled into the stock market, which is why we're at all-time highs now. Uh, they have blown up asset bubble after asset bubble with $4.5 trillion dollars. $4.5 trillion created out of thin air, pumped into the stock market. The, the reason the stock market went from 7000 to 27000 over the last 10 years is because the Federal Reserve has been pumping trillions of dollars into this market. It's all inflation. It's all inflationary, okay? And if it took $4.5 trillion to pull us back from the brink of the Great Recession, right? Economic collapse. The, the whole world was coming to an end. We have to spend $4.5 trillion that we don't have. Well, now we're back. We, we tried to roll that back, and we couldn't. And they've now pumped it back up from about $3.5 to $4 trillion. And, and supposedly, the economy's fantastic, right? If the economy was really as tremendous as Donald Trump claims, as all these Republican talking heads and neocons claim, then we wouldn't need all this stimulus. We wouldn't need the Federal Reserve to be pumping money into the stock market to keep it propped up. It would be growing on its own. We wouldn't need $4 trillion worth of federal stimulus. That We wouldn't need to borrow a trillion dollars every year. We wouldn't need the Federal Reserve to be pumping $70 billion of, of cheap money into the financial markets to prop up the stock market. We wouldn't need any of this intervention. We would be making stuff. We would be saving, we would be investing, and we would be producing things all on our own. 
we wouldn't need record low interest rates. We still we still can't get above two percent interest rates. Uh, I mean, this is ridiculous. That that would be historically over the last ten thousand years, the history of interest rates, we are at the lows. Uh, yeah, we, sure, we were lower five six years ago when we were at zero, but we're not that much higher. One and a half percent, I think, is the Fed funds rate right now. So if we really were a strong economy, we wouldn't need Federal Reserve quantitative easing or overnight repurchase agreements. We wouldn't need historically low interest rates. We wouldn't need government borrowing a trillion dollars every year. We wouldn't need any of this stuff. But we do. We do because this is all an illusion. This whole economy is a house of cards, and it is going to tumble any day now. And I know those of you that know me, I've been talking about this for the last 10 years at least, but that's because nothing structurally has changed over the last 10 years. The, the same things that got us into the 2008 financial crisis are still at play right now, even more so, okay? Uh, I don't have time to get into all of it today, but... Suffice it to say that artificially low interest rates following the uh, 2000-2001 recession, Greenspan slashed interest rates to 1%, and he left them there for like a year. Uh, oh, oh, okay. So that interest rates are, are nothing more than the price of money, okay? And you can think of money as basically the blood of the economy. If the economy is a human body, the, the money is the blood that flows through every inch of the body, right? And if you mess with the interest rates, if you artificially raise them or artificially lower them, you're going to poison the entire body. The whole economy is affected by that. And it caused a bunch of people to make very bad financial decisions. Long story short, interest rates were too low for too long. And we had the financial crisis of 2008. What was the Fed's reaction to that? Oh, we'll slash interest rates even lower. We'll go to zero. We'll go to zero for 10 years, <laughs> okay? 10 years. And then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll worry about shrinking our balance sheet later. Uh, okay, so with one year at 1%, what do you think uh, that caused 2008? What do you think is going to happen with 10 years at 0%. What do you think is out there in this huge financial market, this labyrinth of, of the financial industry, uh, uh, 10 years worth of bad decisions that are going to come to come to light as soon as this thing, as soon as this party's over? God only knows. God only knows. But I got to leave it there on a high note. Very optimistic show for that. I apologize, but I got to go. I got a plane to catch. So guys, if you like the show today, do me a favor, share it with your friends. Make sure you download and subscribe and follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. If you would like to become a supporting member of the show, you can go to pedalingfictionpodcast.com and click on the links from there. It should be pretty straightforward. Every dollar you donate to the show goes right back into uh, creating content and increasing my reach as a podcaster. And if you can do all that, I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.